internet, Mike Erie here coming at you from suburban Columbus, Ohio, where spring has finally sprung. It is in the 70s, it is in the 80s, there are flowers, life is magical, unicorns are dancing, uh, and we're very excited. Today I have with me, in studio, a very special guest. Now, now many of you, many of you know or have commented on my love and devotion to God's team, Ohio State, the Ohio mm -hmm. State Buckeye football team. And um, and to be here in the epicenter, you know, it's kind of like being, if you're Catholic, it's kind of like visiting the Vatican. Um, if if you're, uh, you know, if you're a Notre Dame fan, it's like going to South Bend. I mean, to, to be in the epicenter of Ohio State football and drive by the stadium that's only 10 minutes away, big deal. But even bigger than that is meeting ex-players. Mm. So today, in studio, I have an ex-Ohio State quarterback. Now, how it works in Columbus is if you're, if you're an Ohio State football player, you're always famous. I mean, just end of story. There's automatic respect, uh, notoriety, um, uh, and, and other things that will not be mentioned that go along with that. Now, so today I've got a quarterback who I watched his team play. Um, in the, it was 1997, January 1st. Uh, this was John Cooper's biggest win of his Buckeye tenure. It was uh, when we came back against the Arizona Cardinals, Arizona <laughs> University of Arizona Thank Wildcats. You. Thank you. Um, led by, they were led by Pat Tillman and Jake the Snake. Jake the Snake. And um, and uh, and we scored like in the last minute to to win it and run the Rose Bowl and it was epic. But I am joined f uh, f by a quarterback from that team. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome to the studio with me, Steve Gellert. Ladies and gentlemen, Steve Gellert. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Steve you. Gellert. Now, I, I deserve that. I do. I deserve that. Steve Gellert is, um, he, uh, played for Thomas Worthington High School, broke all sorts of Thomas Worthington records. We couldn't remember any of them, but we assume it's true. <laughs> correct? Uh, yes, that is correct. And then, were you recruited by Ohio State? So, yes, I was recruited okay. by Ohio State. By, and who was the position coach at the time? Do you remember? So, the position coach, he, um, he ended up uh, coaching at the University of Pittsburgh. Okay. And I completely forget his name Okay, right perfect. So, we'll skip. Who cares? He's unimportant to this story. Now, Steve Gellert was recruited by Ohio State. Mm -hmm. what, what was your height and weight in, in high school? In high school, I was about 6'3", 185. Perfect. That is what I am currently, which is amazing. Um, <laughs> and uh, why are you laughing? I uh, this the, believe, For our normal podcast listeners, well, we don't have any normal podcast listeners. For the, the a podcast, regular podcasters, are, this whole thing is not going to be about... Ohio State football. But when you have the opportunity to have an ex-Ohio State quarterback in the room, you just take advantage of it. And 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 you have to talk about it. So Steve Gellert, if you don't, if you don't, if you're not familiar with the name, um what there's one particular play Ooh. that kind of defined your career. Mm. And uh defined my career. Well, it was it, true or false, it was the only play you were on the field. False. Okay, so you were on the field for other plays. Other plays. Okay, like like not many, but there were okay, others. Okay, there were others. Okay, this was the only one. Oh, okay. Yes. So if I were to look at your Ohio State stat line. Yeah. Yes. Uh huh. What would it What would it say? Like I, official stat line. I, I believe I, I haven't looked at it in quite some time. By the way, Walt <laughs> Harris was the head coach. Oh, oh yes. Walt okay. Harris. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, 
I, I believe it would say that in 1997, Steve Gellert had 14 yards per carry. Nice! Mm -hmm. For a total of... It's not a bad average. That's not a bad average. We're just going to stay right there. So it was one rush for 14, 14 yards. 14 yards per, per carry. Okay. <laughs> was that the Illinois game? That was the Illinois oh, game. Oh, okay. Now this is the play. Okay, so Steve... So Steve's a good friend, um, and he does not... He, he trusted me enough to to share this with me and and i wanted to keep it secret so i thought i'd share it on the podcast um <laughs> so 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 you are uh what 97 was what you were what sophomore junior so yeah so i was a sophomore okay and who was behind who was ahead of you in the uh quarterback room uh, well, we had uh, we had the two quarterback combination that beat, had had beaten Arizona. Co correct, Arizona State. And, Arizona State. Uh, yep. So, yeah. So we had we had Stan Jackson. Yep. And we had Joe Germain. Two totally different styles of quarterback. Two totally different styles of quarterback. Yeah. Yes. Both phenomenal, by the way, Both in their phenomenal. own right. Yep. And and you were third. I was well fourth okay. after Mark Garcia. Oh, nice. He was a transfer. He had gotten hurt. Oh, uh, yes, and, and so he Did was kind of—he was coming back from confidentially. From an injury. Yes. Did you have anything to do with that injury? Per no. Okay. I liked Mark. Okay. He was a good guy. Oh well, he's ahead of you, man. He was ahead of me. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. he was hurt this particular time. He had a cannon. He had it was a cannon. Unreal. Unreal. How was his arm? Throw the ball. He <laughs> was good as well. <laughs> All right. So, um, so I need to set up the Illinois game. Please. Okay, so so the context is critically important. The context, to my defense. Yes. So so Illinois is not a traditional football powerhouse, yeah. even back then. No. So um, you know, I would assume Mr. Cooper, the head mm -hmm. coach at the time, kind of preps everybody for, hey, you know, if it's a blowout, you're gonna get some playing time. What was your week of preparation like? Do you remember for this game? Well, I I was. Um, I, I like to consider myself a scout team All-American for the Ohio State Buckeyes. Um, so, so I like to pride myself on the fact. Back to the uh, yes. Arizona State game, Ooh. right? Jake, you snake. were snake. I was snake. Okay, so scout team. For those of you that don't know football, what you do with the backups is you you they pretend to be the other team. Yes. So Geller, Jake the Snake Plumber was like this really famous college quarterback, played in the pros. Um, he had great like maneuverability in the pocket, good arm. So you were Jake the Snake. You're so the reason the we won that game. Well, I, I, in my own mind, yes. yes. yes Perfect. Yes. I think a few other guys may have had something to do with it. Okay, but but the primary reason. So so you were <laughs> the Illinois quarterback. Yeah. All week mm -hmm. going up against your first team defense. Yeah. Okay. So your week of preparation was a massive. You were on point. You were running their plays like nobody's business. I, I was I was Charlie Hustle out there. Perfect. I will say that. I worked pretty darn hard. Game, night before the game. Yes. Any nerves? Or you're thinking, I'm no. third. No. I'm third on no the nerves. charts. Well, I, honestly, I'm thinking it's going to be freezing and I'm going to be standing there for four hours. Oh. Well, any, any, but I had the best seat in the house, so that was always fun. Any wardrobe uh, decisions that you had to make that day? No, 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 long, no, no. Long underwear? Uh, no, 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 no. I, you know, you, I was kind of a tough guy, which doesn't always equate to quarterbacks. Uh, true. But, but you know, somehow you, you need to you need to establish a reputation that you're not some pansy on it. So, okay. yeah. So no, I, I didn't really do a lot okay. of like the right. long. So you went, you stuff. went, suns out, guns out, right? In the middle <laughs> but of the winter. sun was not out. Correct. And so the game proceeds. You are you are demolishing them. 
like like we do like we do. like we do do you remember the score when when we he turned to you oh goodness i don't it was 49 nothing 52 nothing okay, 56 so nothing it was up there it was up there yeah when did you get an inkling that you might enter into this game you, you know um so so cooper yes good guy great guy good guy hangs out in columbus still he does in our community yep. actually so cooper is walking up and down the sidelines right and he's saying which doesn't make you feel great but get everyone in get everyone in right so i don't know it's like there's not a whole lot of time left and and yeah. so he he walks up to me we had guys playing all different positions it didn't matter right it didn't matter. and he walked up to me and i have a lot of pride and ego and yeah. I worked, you know so what you were recruited what, what are you gonna what are you gonna what are you gonna play what are you gonna do and i said uh i said why well, well, i play quarterback and he's like, uh, that's kind of an important position. I don't yeah. know. But, all right, get in there. No way. Yeah. So you so go, I in, go running out onto the field at Ohio Stadium, and I'm like, this is amazing. What level of applause would you say? You know, 10 is, 10 is you know, when we came back to beat Penn State last year. Mm, mm, um, mm. One is at Iowa, <laughs> you know, watching the Iowa game or whatever. I mean, what would you, what was the, in, in, in the Ohio Stadium, like, pantheon of, like, mm, mm -hmm. cheers. Yes. Did you, did anything register or had most people left or do you, do you remember? Does my mother count? Yes. Oh, she totally counts. Then I put her at a two. She's very, <laughs> that's my Steve. That's my boy. All right. So, so you've got one last play. Right? Yeah. So we, we've had a couple up. successful plays. Oh, so how, right, how many sure plays total were you in? Three or four. Okay. So first yes. play. Do you remember, remember what it Hand was? Hand off left. Hand off left. Hand Perfect. off right. You know what's great about football? And I remember this specifically uh, from my high school days because I had an opportunity to play as a sophomore and I was terrified. Oh. Right? And so what's interesting is you go into the game and you're nervous the crowd is you know there at a two and you don't <laughs> you don't want to mess up but once you get under center it's like running bike it's just grass it's, it's grass. just some big dude's butt in front of you yes and and you got to get in there and you got to get the ball yeah and it's the same Not it's literally. just football yes thank you for yes distinction. <laughs> yes that's important it's so 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 yeah so, so i, I so you hand, hand off left i'm out there and i'm excited hand off left boom did you carry out your fake oh that's what i was banking on yeah right yeah. you hand it off and then you fake yes. like you still have it hand off right yep right yep and so, so there's, two. there's less time on the clock okay right then they're on the play clock then or excuse me on the on the on the game clock than there is on the play clock so you don't technically have to run i'm play. walking off to the sideline yeah game right yeah i did my thing you did you we're good two hands off hand we, we still have a goose egg we're, yeah. we're pitching a shutout for yeah the defense this is great and cooper because he's a good guy he's a good guy he says go run another play go run another play <sighs> just and to I'm be like, nice and i'm like all right cool like, yeah what should i run yeah you know what play we run? Oh, no. A right 148. Oh, my goodness. Do you know okay. how many times we had run a right 148 Zero. that season? Zero. Zero. Okay. Which means, you know how many times our first string had had practiced that play i'm guessing zero maybe once a week okay maybe twice okay. a week it's a all good right. play all right it's a counter boot he probably just wanted it in there to show teams down the road right, right? 
And so we run a, a run for you, which is a counter boot. Right. So that means you fake the handoff. Fake the handoff. And then right? you go the opposite direction. And, go, and, and it's you a roll naked out. bootleg. It's a naked bootleg. And so yeah. what happens on the blocking, and this is important. Yes. Can I nerd out on this for a second? Of course. Nerd okay. it. Okay. Thank you. So it means the defensive end is actually unblocked in the yes. blocking scheme. So I, it's called the quarterback making the block. Right. I, I, I do the counter and the fake is supposed to get him to bite inside and then I go outside of him. You just out quick him. Right. Right. And I'll think him, right? Yes. So, yeah. so we do a good fake. Done. We run it. Last play of the game. I, I boot out. Yes. The defensive end comes screaming in. Okay. Success number one. Nice. I go right around him. Nothing. No problem. Nothing. It's green. You just see nothing but green. No, nothing but green. And so and so my my receiver yeah. to the boundary, which yeah. is where I'm going. Because you can throw it. Because I can throw it. Yeah. He's supposed to run a comeback. Okay. Okay, so that's 15 yards and yep. you stop and you and you basically do like come a, a back. deep out. Yeah, you yeah, come toward back. Toward the sideline. Correct. And I remember thinking, I literally remember thinking, this 19-year-old Steve Geller, I thought, yeah. because you know they have the cameras and the microphone, all yeah. they want to do is throw the ball so hard yes. that the microphone picks up the pop of the oh, ball I on like his that. I like that. On his pad. Yeah. Yeah, just saying, hey, they got a cannon. It's like Jake the Steak right. is the only guy that's got cannon. Right, absolutely. Okay. All right. And so I'm coming down, and I'm cocked and ready to pull. Yeah. And I'm noticing he's not really breaking down, and no. there's a timing piece to this. And I'm thinking... Because you've never practiced what, it. What's he doing? I don't know. Right? What's he doing? Well, I, I talked to him later, and I'm not going to use the name because people would know him. <laughs> was he your roommate? He, he No, he was not, but he okay. ended up playing a lot yeah, later yeah. down the road. <laughs> I asked him why he didn't run a comeback, and I said, you would have been wide open. And he said, I know. I was terrified you would throw the ball to me. <laughs> That's what he told me. That's what he told me. Okay. You're yeah. going to ruin my shot at the NFL by throwing it to me right now. <laughs> That's right. Okay. So, so, so I, had a, I had a comeback, yeah. and the guy running the comeback was playing a different position, and he really didn't know what was happening. No. And so at that point, you gotta I, run. I decided to you run. you got to run. Now, you didn't mention how cold it was that day. Well, you, I didn't, but someone else did. Yes, it was freezing, and I had yes. just been standing out there not to make excuses, because we don't make hours. excuses, no. for three, three and a half hours. Yeah, and ball was hard. And so, I, yeah. so I'm running around, defensive end. Done. Comeback ain't happening. No. Nope. No one coming back on my backside. You got to run. So you got to run. So I run, and, and there's a lot of room. And I'm like, cool. Yeah. Right? Right. And so now a safety yeah. comes flying up, and, and, and safeties tend to be pretty fast. Yeah. And I was what Usually I like to call fast enough <laughs> to do what a quarterback should be able to do, right. more or less. Right. And, and I don't know why, but I decided it'd be a good idea to try to put a move on this guy. Perfect. Yeah. It's last play of the game. So I do my little dance, yeah. left, right, left, shimmy. I'm going to like do some spin. And all I remember is his helmet <laughs> hitting my sternum because he was 10 yards away. It seemed like only a split second ago. He shouldn't have been able to close that fast. And next thing I know oh. is I'm on the ground. Oh, no. But what had happened? And 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 the ball was actually not still with me. <laughs> so, so I turn around, oh. and and about thirty five yards downfield, and I mean like now, there's a dude going directly into opposite, opposite right into our our end zone. So, so your Ohio State career. Three on-field plays. <laughs> hand off left, hand off right. Which were successful. Which were 
executed perfectly. Yes. And then the then then one forty eight counter. What did you call it? Counter one forty eight. It was a counter boot. Yep. And and uh, you give you fumble, scoop and score the other way. You give up the shutout, which I'm sure your teammates loved. Yes. And, and then and then what was the thing? The gamblers. So and and I also will not mention the name because it's hilarious <laughs> if I told you the name. One of my teammates. Oh no. I probably shouldn't share this. Came up to me and was laughing hysterically. Put his hand on my shoulder and said, "You just broke the spread. Perfect." Perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, in studio today, that very same man, Steve Gellert, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, thank you. We should have just gotten with 14 yards per carry in 1997. Which was awesome. I wanna, I'm pretty sure I found the play on YouTube. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I did. I've looked for it and I haven't seen it, so I haven't looked in a while. Okay, well. It's there. Uh, well, I, I, I think I think I saw it, but we'll see. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that was a 15-minute football story that I enjoyed <laughs> utterly and thoroughly. Steve Geller, but let me tell you, let me tell you, Steve is also well known for a couple of things. He married a she's a lacrosse and tennis player. Yes, she's a dentist. She's a dentist. She has a job, <laughs> and does. you do not. I know. Correct. So Correct. Steve and I are beautifully unemployed together. Um, and and uh, we talk a lot about church. And so I wanted to bring Steve in, not only because that story is just the greatest thing ever. Can you imagine going into the locker room? Oh. I, I mean, I just, oh, bro, oh. I can't even. I'm like, oh, why? dude, dude. Why? Why? Why, God, why? Oh. Um, but I wanted to, I wanted to talk a little bit about um some stuff and, and and the reason we do this of course is there, there's just so much that provokes conversation you know out on the interwebs these days and so um over at scott mcknight's blog there was um, a guy a pastor i think his name's todd something who wrote a series of articles called the death of the church Ooh, using social science using social science to kind of talk about um the the rapidly dwindling um vibrancy of the american church and he's only talking about the american church um and and you know again agree or disagree with his take the thing that's that isn't the thing that's interesting um i don't know if his stats are right or wrong i don't care uh but what's interesting are some of the things he brings up and that will be what we will talk about mr steve so I'm going to summarize this article a little bit. Chip in whenever you want to. Um, Church attendance has steadily declined 38% over the past several decades. Mm. 59% of millennials like me growing up in the church have dropped out. And and the author makes this an interesting point. If if, if a political party lost this kind of support, (laughs) they would change radically. Um, if the NFL lost this this much viewership, they would change radically. Now, again, whether or not this is true, his point is uh, the church doesn't seem very concerned um, uh, about this decline because he says the church reacts in one of two ways. We either ignore it uh, because it's fine where we are, okay. right? Right. Yeah. If I if I've got a mega church, hey, dude, church is killing it. Come on. Yeah. Uh, I'm shocked at the number of mega churches in the in the city of Columbus. Or, and this is far more common, we propose cosmetic changes yeah. to our collapsing structures. 
And um, and so he gives, he says, American churches aren't dying because they don't have a good enough mission statement or a good enough preacher or enough band members that wear skinny jeans or read their Bibles <laughs> enough or care about evangelism enough or differ with mainstream sexual ethics or have enough hospitality team at the door. Um, you know, it, it, it's like those are, those are the cosmetic changes, right? We just yes. think if the smoke machine is working and the music's louder and we just have a better teacher, mm-hmm. you know, that, that will draw people. And, and hallelujah that God uses all of that sort of thing. But his point is, that's not the reason the church in America is dying, because mm-hmm. we don't have those things. Mm-hmm. He's, his big point is, when you talk about the collapse of the American church, you must also talk about the collapse of the social fabric of our society, um, because the, the two are tied together. So the collapse of the church and the breakdown of the American community, those things go together more than I think we realize. At least this is his argument. Um, he bases, he quotes a guy named Robert Putnam, who I remember when the book was published in the year 2000. Um, that was a year... Uh, for, for those of you millennial listeners that you were born probably later then, uh, it was called Bowling Alone. And um, the argument of the book is in the first two thirds of the 20th century, uh, civic activities, you know, measured by um, volunteerism, um, v- you know, r- voting rates, church attendance and participation, um, the number of family meals that a family would share together. All of that was on the rise. And then he said about 1960-ish, uh, that began a very sharp decline. And, and since the book was published, it's even more significantly declined since. So, um, and, and he says, you see this in um you see this in three different arenas first you see it in political communities even though we've had a huge uptick uh during the 2016 election uh and sense in in political activism Mm -hmm. the the level of political participation has declined dramatically um the the quality of family relationships Mm -hmm. the number of family vacations families take the the time of uh, meals that are shared, the amount of meals, the the time spent in meals, all of that is decreasing incredibly um, rapidly. Um, And then even even friend relationships, this was an interesting study he quoted. In 2004, a Duke study said that uh, in 1985, 10% of people responded to a survey by saying they have zero friends. Uh, that they could confide in and share pain or joy with. Two decades later in 04, the same survey was carried out, and this time 25% of people responded saying they had zero friends. Uh, this was 15 years ago, and those rates have been steadily, steadily increasing. Now, um, people estimate that it is over 40% of uh of people that would say they they don't have any good friends which is absolutely fascinating so so what he the big point he wants to make is that the church isn't the only thing that's collapsing it's the societal uh, the the fabric of society is collapsing too and the what's happening to the church is a symptom of that greater thing okay so that's that's one big argument um and I, I would just say, I think you can see that too. So, uh, so I would, can I say I was a former mm-hmm. principal? Well, of course. It's just really interesting in, in, in the educational world, right? Um, I was in a public school for many, many years. Mm. Um, you, you see that 
uh, you do. In, in that organization as well, where, mm. you know, and I'll just use, you know, this is observational, yeah. but, um, you know, you have less and less parents mm -hmm. participating in events and activities mm. in their kids' lives um, I, for whatever reason. They're busy. They're doing other things. They have other commitments. Yep. They're out of the country. Um, and then you really see that. Uh, in, in different and in diverse socioeconomic, uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and once again, this is observational, but mm -hmm. I was in a very um, high SES, socioeconomical status uh, uh, area, and then a very low, mm -hmm. and people aren't coming. Yeah. People aren't interested. Mm -hmm. People, and, 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 and we worked our tails off to try to figure out the cause, mm -hmm. right? And so it's just interesting anecdotally that not even necessarily just in the in, in the that's church. Right. That's right. But I think you, you, we see that in, in other areas where perhaps 20, 30, 50 years ago, um, yeah. Yeah. you, you know, uh, people were more engaged, yeah. and, more yes. involved. Yeah, that supports this point that that um, the so all the all the like crying about the d diminishment of the church um, really is just a symptom of the diminishing of America's collective right. communal fabric. Tethered. Yeah, ooh, good word. Thank you. He said, um, he said that the key to understanding this is to identify something he calls an ACF, like a good sociologist. Uh, an ACF is an anti-community force, something that works against the kind of community we all hunger for that's at work in the world. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so there are three that he names very very quickly the first one is sprawl and um and he says it's the rise of the automobile which then created the suburban kind of the suburban landscape we're all mm -hmm. familiar with that now you don't have to live near the people you work with you don't have to live near your place of worship you have to live where you shop all right i mean you are now you can totally separate your home life from the rest of your life Whereas before you couldn't, your neighbors were everything. You supported each other, you knew each other, you may not like each other, but that was irrelevant. They were your neighbors, like your neighborhood mattered. Mm -hmm. These days, as city planners began to develop, right? I mean, the, the, the suburbanizing of American cities, because uh, the car has allowed us, uh, we have, I mean, we, how, much, how much property is just spent on parking? I mean, it's absolutely crazy, right? Because we bring our cars everywhere. Right. Uh, he says there are two effects of sprawl. Uh, the first one is it zaps our time spent with others, duh. Um, there's a negative correlation between commuting and community participation. Yep. No. There you go. Yep. That is Captain Obvious. <laughs> and then he says, secondly, sprawl has stolen our concept of, of place. Now, we're familiar with our concept of space. Hey, I, I'm, I inhabit wherever my space is, but there's no rootedness to it. There's no connection to it. Mm -hmm. And he says the significance of that is people don't engage um, in uh, in relation to space, they engage in relation to place. Make sense? Yeah. Um, and uh, and so you know, the less we care about the place we cultivate, the less we invest in it. And so um, you know, we and and the Eries are great examples of this. I mean, we've moved almost as many years as we've been married. I mean, it's absolutely crazy how many times we've moved, right? And you just kind of pull up and go and make new friends, and pull up and go and make new friends. Um, and so uh, you know, his recommendation is against sprawl. Uh, choose to live close to each other. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so he makes a case for that. Um, 
we'll get to we'll get to critiquing this in a second. Second, the second ACF, anti-community force, screens and technology. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a big shock for anyone mm-hmm. who has children, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> or even ourselves, right? I mean, it's it's absolutely crazy. I could never have imagined, even I don't know, five seven years ago, going to bed with your phone, right? Right? I mean, it's just who would do that? Or watching amazing eighties <laughs> <Right. laughs> shows on a screen, Cobra Kai, less than an inch thick, right? Yeah, it's absolutely crazy what's happened. Um, uh, he says that the black and white television began a claim on our central the, as the central spot in our lives in 1955, at which point half Americans owned a TV. Um, and now, um, today, 98% of homes have a TV at their center. We do. So we orient all of the furniture towards the television, not towards each other. And I was reading this. I'm like, oh, man. Like, seriously, the TV is the center of two rooms in our house. You know what? We Talk fought this. You did? We fought it. You and your wife? We did. And? And we lost. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. For the first five, six years. Was it a metaphorical fumble on the last <laughs> day of the game? <laughs> <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> and, and so, and so we, we, uh, we fought it, and it was awesome. We had a living room that was for living that was for breathing for conversation for friends for drinking a glass of wine and hanging out together and then what happened and then we put a tv in there oh and it kills it and it did it did i used to be so godly that i would (laughs) i I kid you not i would put my tv away for the summer Mm. like i would just pack it up and put it in a closet yeah read and play yeah not anymore no not anymore he says um 77 percent of americans have a smartphone um and that we spend five um we spend five hours a day watching television that is brutal and and then you by the time you count in other screen time ipad you know phone um you're almost uh, you're almost on a screen as long as you as long as you sleep no wonder we can't compete internationally. Correct. I mean, that's, you know, and then it increases once you're over 65. And so literally... I'm okay uh, with that. <laughs> yeah, at 65. I mean, come on. When I'm 66. Wheel of Fortune. Dude, Jeopardy. All day. Killer. Long. Bob Barker. Come on. Wheel, Price is Right. Yeah. Oh, he's not there anymore. Drew Carey. Oh, I know. With hair. I know. There's hope. I know. I Yeah. <laughs> thank, thank you for that. That, hurt, that is hurtful. Um, but, but, you know, he, this guy makes the point that the opposite of, of technology isn't to be anti-technology, but it's to be pro people. And, um, and so you have to, um, you have to address technology with, with great wisdom and we'll, no one disagrees with that, but no one does it. Right. Right. We all go, oh yeah, we have to be very discerning and blah, 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 blah. Um, so, so that's the second one. First one is sprawl. Second one is screen. Third one is the me culture, right? Hyper individualization and, or hyper individualism. Um, and, and this one's obvious. I mean, it used to be when you talked about like our kids, you meant the community's kids. Now our kids just means my kids. Right. 
Um, it used to be that if you saw schools that were crumbling or churches that were struggling, you didn't leave them to find better. You said, no, my kids deserve better than this. And you, you, do you dove in. Right. Right. I mean, it, it, it is, it is unbelievable. So even the, I mean, the big, the, one of the biggest examples of this is the, the way the army advertises itself, right? It used to be mm -hmm. the army appealed to your sense of duty and honor. Um, now it's, you're an army of one. Right. Right. Be the best you can be. Um, it's all about self-actualization. Right. Mm -hmm. And and this gets in. I mean, it, this gets into so much kind of the live your truth, be the best you um, uh, very much self-actualizing. Um, and, and again, there's some good parts to all of that, but then some parts that are really the really significant trade offs. Um, so so people are. And and I'm at the top of this list, absolutely. Steve, even more so. Um, <laughs> Probably. Uh, people are absolutely um, oriented towards themselves, and 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 like, and, and I totally agree. It's like when I when I have when that when the kids are out playing, I don't feel responsibility for all the kids. Mm -hmm. I feel responsibility for my kids, mm -hmm. and I you know I can't judge how anyone else parents their kids. No, um, I can't. You know, there's no intervening. There's just like you know, when I was when I was a kid, I would be yelled at by any parent. Any parent mm -hmm. that was watching yeah. had authority to yell, mm -hmm. and and my parents would back them up always. Uh, these days. Yeah, I mean, we're like two old guys. We're like the two old Muppets talking about the, the good old days, kids these days. But, but it's fascinating to me because now when I look out and I see my kids playing, unless you're a good friend, mm -hmm. like unless you're family friends, then I care absolutely about your, your kids. And I care generically about kids, of course. But there's not that same sense of like responsibility. I just want to make sure mine get the best opportunities and it doesn't matter what happens to yours. And in many cases, it's it's doing whatever it takes to position your kid. Right. No matter what that means, what the kid did, didn't do versus what you're doing for that That's child. Right. That's right. To make sure. Oh, you had to see this all the time. That they principal. are leveraged for the right. better school, the best school, the best career, the best job. Yep, absolutely. And, um, and so, so, so his big argument is, listen, unless you address sprawl, which and the answer to which is proximity, unless you address screen time, the answer to which is wisdom and discernment, and unless you address this hyper individualism, uh, the answer to which is seeing the church community as a family, mm -hmm. you know, that you're with through thick and thin and ups and downs, unless you address those factors, then no other change you're going to make to church is going to do, is going to have any lasting effect. Okay. So that's his argument. Now, the thing he doesn't consider, or he considers a little bit, um, is the idea that the church itself in some expressions has just simply become an anti-community force instead of instead of being a symptom of an anti-community force it actually it actually plays into it furthers it and has become one right even if they're wearing skinny jeans yes particularly Whoa. man Whoa. let me tell you right now jesus he's not a fan but that's just <laughs> between him and me um no no he I, but so i find this very very interesting to consider, okay, fantastic. His big argument seems to be, listen, unless you address these bigger forces at play, then cosmetic churches won't, or, or changes mm -hmm. to the church won't work. Fair enough. 
but he doesn't seem to consider, or at least not thir- not deeply enough, that um, that some of the ways the church operates in the world, uh, like would would render it an anti-community force. Mm-hmm. So you think about sprawl, right? So let's consider the suburban megachurch, mm-hmm. right? No one's walking to those, right? The the they're viewed as a mall. Right. Um, with something for everyone. Mm-hmm. It's usually on a very large campus. So mm-hmm. the campus itself is sprawled. And the kids go one place. The teenagers go a different place. Mom and dad go a different place. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there, there's a sense in which uh, the services are so large, you, you never see the same people. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you go for years and years and years, sit in the same place at the same time, maybe you'll get to know some folks. Mm -hmm. So churches have to be so intentional, uh, especially at that size of creating smaller units where people can know and be known. Um, but but it, it's interesting. I mean, the the a lot of um, modern megachurches embody the sprawl. Mm-hmm. Like, like they're many, and and they're not urban, right? So they're suburban themselves. Mm-hmm. So they've just they've just now codified. Mm-hmm. And and again, I'm a part of this. I've done this. Um, it's it's all that we've known to do mm-hmm. is well, yeah. You got to go where land is, and you build buildings, and people will come. And so you actually so instead of saying to churches. Hey, listen, be, with the advent of the internet, you can get good teaching anywhere. Who cares? You never leave a church because of bad teaching unless it's false, mm-hmm. right? If it's harmful teaching, yeah, get the heck out. But if it's just not very good, who cares? Don't go, don't drive by a hundred little churches to go to the big one. You can live stream the big one. You can podcast the big one. You can get your hit of teaching and worship, but go to the little one that's right next door. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something so beautiful about that, yeah. right? And nothing, man, I'm a mega church guy. I've done the mega church thing. I'm not bagging on mega churches. I'm just saying sociologically, it's interesting mm-hmm. that they kind of match up with with what he thinks are the core problems and i'm just thinking okay well how can the church address those problems when itself is is embodying mm-hmm. and furthering the anti-community forces at work correct so sprawl you see all over the place um uh the internet is this interesting thing because on the one hand the, there is community online sure. i mean you can't he doesn't even acknowledge the fact that that there is great community found in support groups um forums where people are you know dealing with cancer or adoption or um you know facebook groups of shared interests i mean there is a kind of community now it's not the best kind of community but it is certainly a kind of community and the church shouldn't just ignore that but But at the flip side, none of us in the church disciple anybody about how how to represent Jesus well on the internet. Mm -hmm. No one is talking about how do we be civil and not partisan. We, I mean, there there is no instruction Mm -hmm. about how it is that we. engage in technology parents that are at a total loss mm-hmm. my kids my 14 year old and 13 year old have flip phones mm-hmm. they're the only people besides tony stark who has one in, in uh infinity war <laughs> and, and he I, has can, a flip phone. I, I can i can vouch for that your yes. children are the only people who have a flip phone <laughs> totally. and i mean literally they're like yeah. you know when can we have smartphones and, and there's part of them that loves not having it yeah uh, because they see what social media does their, to their friends. Yeah. Uh, but on another hand, the pressure is so immense. Mm-hmm. You know, they just sit around and they're hanging out, but they're on their phones. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, yeah. <laughs> we actually played. Yes. We did stuff. You did. We did. And look how I turned I. out. Yes. 
and my mother would come out and she had the loudest whistle in the neighborhood mm. and as soon as you heard it all the kids knew they knew stevie has to go home <laughs> And again, it's easy, easy, easy to look back and say, oh, it was so much better. No, it wasn't better then. It's just different. different. Yeah. And, and so when, if you're saying the technology is an issue in the church, the church has this really hard time between utilizing it because you want to utilize it for mission, yes. right? We podcast, sure. uh, we live stream services. But on the flip side, you want to use that technology to create a hunger for more than what the technology itself can provide. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there has to be, and, and Andy Crouch wrote a, a book called The TechWise Family that I would highly recommend. Um, this is literally the biggest battle we fight with our kids. Like we let them decide their bedtimes. Mm-hmm. We don't monitor, you know, we, we let a lot of battles go for the sake of this one yeah. um, because you know what Nate my, my 14 year old guy can get into and the pressure that Hannah you know um, would feel if she were saturated in Instagram and Snapchat it's absolutely deadly so they have flip phones they're, they're not entirely happy about it but my point is um, we don't that, that the church for the church to be you know a countercultural community the point isn't to be anti-technology as he as he said the point is to be pro people so how do we create people who flourish in social situations instead of avoid them on their phone um, how do we create parents that um, are willing to fight these battles how do we create kids mm-hmm. who are discerning in the content they consume I mean holy freaking cow you know? So anyway, I mean, again, another thing I'm sure you saw at school like crazy, just the dominance of technology. Well, if I could just throw out a quick little... Um, Would you throw out an just, antidote? Just a little, little, little anecdote, a little commentary on this. And, and I'm, just, I'm just going to beg parents, please. Do it. Please. Do it. Your child is in middle school. Yeah. Your kid is in high school. Yes. Uh, from one principal's perspective. Yes. Do not. Don't. Give them do not give them free reign <laughs> on their technology oh my goodness because you want to give them the freedom to do so right because their frontal cortexes cannot handle it i can't even handle it i, I'm, I'm, I love my own children and i'm including them in this comment they are idiots <laughs> the number of wonderful wonderful well-intentioned great kids that i had in my office yeah and had to have a police officer in there with oh them no because i had to yeah. legally yeah because of one dumb decision at 12 yeah. 24 a.m on yep. a tuesday night yeah please please yes they're supposed to hate you every now and again <laughs> you know that's so good yeah so so but what what's it what's interesting to me though is you know as as you talk about you know some of these issues don't don't you think that this is just going to get worse well of course the individualism and and the technology and how we just throw ourselves into yeah these these forums um and but, and but so, here's what's interesting yeah here's what's interesting i do think there'll be there'll be bounce backs i don't know if it's the next generation the or the generation swing back i yes. agree absolutely we tend to do that we do and i i think that um like there's a there's a very small but loud movement of people just abandoning social media, mm. and and they let they use social media to let people know they do that. So there's no way to monitor whether or not they right. actually have abandoned social media. But then they'll come back and say, "Man, this was liberating. This was absolutely freeing. This was yeah. absolutely." So I so my point in bringing up technology 
is to agree, yes, um, uh, with, uh, with the author of this article, but to also say, okay, the church um, has to use technology. The answer is not to just not use technology. Right. Um, but I, I, the, at least in my experience, I've never been a part of a community that has really sophisticated conversations about this mm-hmm. other than just a bunch of older people going, oh, our kids, you know, wringing their hands, right. not doing anything proactive. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, I, I share with my kids the the studies, like mm-hmm. the data yeah. that show Good. that the, that the number you. one contributor to teen suicide yeah. is, uh, right. is social media. Yeah. And no and what happens to them on social media? So so again, the answer, I like I like how he says the answer is an anti technology. The answer is pro people. I love that. Um, and then the third thing he says, and man, this this is where the church. I think uh, we are the, you know, for for the church to preach against individualism. <laughs> <laughs> it's and then just embody it and cater to it everywhere else yeah. it's just funny mm-hmm. so so uh, you know so it starts with the gospel right what's our gospel well jesus's gospel was listen god is doing a new thing in the world called the kingdom of god and it is now present because i am here the the king it's about the king it's not about your soul going into heaven our gospel these days is about you having a personal relationship with Jesus, God speaking to you, leading you, blessing you, favoring you. It's nothing to do with joining God in his work in the world, right? It's very much a you-centered gospel. And 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 I was reading, oh, where did I put it? Uh, I was reading the, um, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so so oh I get this. Oh boy! I get this catalog. Catalogs are things that they're they're made of paper, and they show pictures of things. Mm. And this is a catalog of books for those uh, millennials. Like, like the uh, what, what was the old uh, CD? You could get ten CDs for a cent. Oh, jeez, the Columbia Columbia House. House. Yes. yes, yes. Well, beautiful. So I love this is the Christian book Columbia House. It. Oh my goodness, it totally is. And and there are some really really good books but but and i'm not bagging on any of the books i'm about to mention because i haven't read them and i don't know them i'm just taking them at their title but but when i look at the books that sell really well uh i've never had one but uh, here (laughs) um, (laughs) i i mean i hear so so i mean here's one all in you are one decision away from a totally different life Okay, um, here's another one. Chase the lion. If your dream doesn't scare you, it's too small. Okay, um, why your small God leads to big problems uh, because he's not God enough. Um, Lord, change my attitude. Uh, what, what else do we have over here? We, uh, you'll get through this. Hope and help through your turbulent times. Um, the secret of lasting forgiveness. Now, now again, I mean, I have no doubt this is amazing, amazing stuff. But notice it's not about joining God in his work in the world. It's about improving me. Right? So switch on your brain. The key to peak happiness, thinking, and health. Fantastic point. Here's TechWise family. Um, uh, <laughs> but but I, I find it so interesting that our books, uh, not all of them, um, but a lot of the ones that are very, very popular really are about being blessed 
more and about self-improvement through, you know, sort of a, um, a scripture as the therapeutic uh, exercise. And, and I, man, I have no problem with that. Um, there was one page, I'm trying to find it, that was that was literally like every book was, I mean, really? This is about fulfilling your dreams. The Christian life is really about, hey, if your dream, if you if your dreams don't scare you, that you're small. I mean, that's really what the Christian yeah. life's about. So so we're preaching against individualism. At the same time, we're preaching an unbelievably individualized gospel and we totally facilitate individualized discipleship right i mean as these book titles represent it's you getting you better it's not about serving in the end of oh here's the book the end of me excellent end of me um goliath must fall Mm. winning the battle against your giants now, dadgummit, the, the David and Goliath was not a metaphor mm. for overcoming your hardship in the 21st freaking century. <laughs> David and Goliath was a battle of gods, for crying out loud, that was hugely significant. Oh, it's so... And again, I mean, some of these authors are incredible. My point is not... Um, oh, here's one. Uh, destroy what steals your strength. Yes, it's all about... You. So my point is, of course, that even in our discipleship and our preaching, it is very individualized. And so we're shocked that people don't want to do small groups. We're shocked that people, Mm -hmm. what people don't want to like carve time out of their crazy schedules to hang out and like socialize. What? What? And then not only do we individualize the gospel, but then we individualize the church experience, right? So the kids have their own programming. Then my teenagers, the junior hires have their own program. The high schoolers have their own programming. The college kids have their own programming. The adults have their own programming. And we're wondering why there is some mysterious drop off as they move between these stages. Right? I mean, yeah. and that's not all bad. My point is, it, it, it simply creates that that the church is a place where you go to consume religious goods and services. What were you going to say? Hmm. <laughs> I just found it interesting, you know, um, because I, I uh, really came to know Jesus and start to establish a relationship with Jesus in, in late, late high school, early college. And what drew me, what drew me were some dudes saying come hang out with us mm. come, sp- come spend time with us they right. were interested in me even beyond the football thing and they didn't really care that i was a quarterback at ohio state which nice. I would have was refreshing i would have totally cared but it was refreshing right because i mean it was just silly i mean i was 24th string and i still got way more attention than any one person should but i would have i would have given you attention <laughs> thank you just for the record i would have been, like, an autograph I been like hey steve could you throw me a ball and just go <laughs> through my sternum yes okay so but my point being is is yes. what i just find what what really compelled me and what brought and and i heard i don't know who said at some point you know and i spent a lot of years studying apologetics just because i mm-hmm. always wanted that you know mm-hmm. first peter three fifteen answer and i wanted to be ready but I, that never did it apologetics is kind of the rational defense of the faith so reasons for god's existence yeah reason it. why you trust yes exactly yeah but that never did it that never that, that I, I have yet to like prove something to someone and be like okay where do i sign yeah yeah but instead what what does it not individualism <laughs> well what's so funny um is is i i love i love christian community because christians will find a way to find community mm-hmm. so it's like like you know we go into breakfast uh today and how many of those tables would you guess are dudes studying the Bible, talking about church? I mean, like a whole bunch. Like it's still, we just can't get over it. 
And the ladies, oh my goodness, um, the, the connection that ladies find together in, uh, in through the church, no question. But my point, and I think what I hear you saying is, um, I, I think his critiques don't go deep enough. Mm-hmm. So I actually think there are bigger forces at play than even these. Correct. Secondly, I think that he, he grants the church, certain models of church do facilitate individualism, no question, he grants that. But but um, but I also think it's our whole understanding of church that does that too, mm-hmm. um, you know, because what church shopping is a thing. I mean, that's just that's the that's the craziest thing ever. But we all do it. I do it. Mm-hmm. And and that's you know, the biggest thing for those of you that are new to the podcast is I love. I'm a pastor. I love the church. I love the mega church. I've seen the good that these big churches can do. I'm totally for them. Um, but uh, it's fascinating to me how um, there are there are small cultural movements away from this that give me hope. So I see I see a lot of millennial uh, authors, writers, social media personalities that I follow uh, who really are disenchanted with mm-hmm. um, with the, the 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 rise of technology, who really do want up um, incarnation. Mm-hmm. which incarnation is just a, a big old word that talks about becoming flesh. So in the Bible, the word became flesh, the, the creative spoken word of God that we now find out is Jesus. This Jesus became flesh. And, uh, and so there's this beautiful expression that, that, that you're absolutely right. You know, can God use Facebook? Can God use sprawl? Can God use, indiv- of course he can. He, he did with us. He can do it with anything. But there's another sense in which, you know, even in the midst of of all of this craziness, there are still just dudes that hang out and don't care that you're a Ohio State football player and are like, hey, dude, hang out with us. Or um, one of the things I've loved about being a part of Vox, uh, the church community, just the idea of table fellowships, that you that sharing a meal together is reclaiming the lost order of sharing a meal with people that, you know, that aren't like you. Mm-hmm. Um, hugely powerful for us. So uh, I'd love your thoughts. Uh, what do you think sits behind uh, the diminishment of attendance at least in in the church uh why do you think millennials are leaving uh, i'd really love your thoughts because because my initial take is ah this isn't deep enough i think there are other things that are going on and much different come on in i don't know who you are but come on in hey hey matt we're podcasting mr geller this is my buddy this mr. is my, peterson this is my buddy matt matt come on in so matt lives we are we are live right now Yes. So Matt is going to be on the podcast someday. Matt is also a former principal. He's waving to the microphone. Matt is, um, he's a Cleveland Browns fan. And so he and I love to talk Browns because there aren't many of us, even in Ohio. (laughs) Who are they? (laughs) No, no, not the Bengals. Um, And anyway, so Matt's, Matt's really smart too, but he didn't play Ohio State. So Gellert did. So there you go. Uh, (laughs) Hey, Hannah. I love that this will be on the podcast. Hannah! Hannah! Yeah? Matt P's here. Aww. Matt P. What are you... <laughs> Matt's daughter just went, aww. <laughs> like super disappointing. Oh, my dad has come to see me. He's taken the time to drive his car over. Exactly. So anyway, all that is to say, um, huge fans of the church. 
would love your thoughts as as to what you think in terms of yeah i mean yeah of course move closer together um invest in real community but i don't i think we could do all those things and still miss it Mm-hmm. So, um, so to be continued, would love love to know what you think. Um, thank you for liking us on iTunes, subscribing to us. Thank you for supporting us on Patreon. You guys are amazing. Steve, any last words? I don't think so. Okay, nineteen ninety seven, Mr. Erie, Illinois game. <laughs> Find it. Four, Fourteen yards per carry. Yes. <laughs> May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine His face upon you and be gracious to you, ladies. We are talking to the internet right now. Hi, internet. There Hi. is no, there is no need. Get over here, Hannah. There is no need to be giggling. Hi. This is Hannah. She is now thirteen years old. Hannah, tell us the best thing about having a flip phone. Having a phone. Yeah. <laughs> Having a phone. Having a flip a phone. phone is better than nothing, is, is what that nothing. argument was. All right, brothers and sisters, there is now chaos descending in the Erie house. Uh, be well, and we will talk to you later. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to the Vox Podcast. Learn more about us at voxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Vox Podcast. And now support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash voxpodcast.